Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I've been looking forward to this episode for quite a while, and in my home is is Tam, R. Tammy and Jeff Hill. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We're primarily going to be talking with Tammy about her new book. And by way of introduction, let me read this so any of you that aren't familiar with Tammy Hill, this is a good introduction. I am a relationship and sexuality educator and coach, as well as a licensed marriage and family therapist in Utah. I hold a current and credentialed membership to ASSECT, the American Association of Sexual Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. In 2014, I was hired by the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University to teach and develop courses on marriage, relationship, and sexuality. I also teach virtual courses and live workshops to individuals and couples seeking to develop their capacity for deeper emotional and sexual intimacy. Additionally, I offer limited private coaching services to couples who are looking for more direct input on improving their lives and relationship. I am the author of the children's book, God Made Girls and Boys, a beautiful book addressing families, gender, accountability, and agency. This book includes discussions, discussion questions to help parents navigate meaningful conversations with their children. This is the important part, listeners. That's been important too. 2023, which is right now, my long-awaited book, Replenishing Craving Sexual Fulfillment in Marriage. And that's what we're going to talk about in this podcast. It is a comprehensive guide to help LDS couples sexually unite in both conversation and practice. I'm an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I frequently contribute on the subjects of sexuality, relationship, and spirituality to blogs, magazines, religious meetings, and podcasts. I am the host of Live Your Why podcast, which can be found on any podcast platform. My husband, lover, and dearest friend, Jeff Hill, and I are the parents of a blended family with 12 children. Welcome to the podcast, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you so much. On a personal note, just because I'm connected with so many BYU students, your name has come up many times in a very helpful way. That makes the me work happy. That you're doing and the skills you're bringing into our community. So, listeners, this will talk a little bit about this book. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's a book about, Tammy's going to talk about it. It's a book where my feeling is there's not a lot of content in this space. And as I was married, you know, 29 years ago, 30 years ago, there wasn't anything like this. And there still isn't much like this. So I look at there's a book for all couples, even couples like my, you know, that have been in a marriage for three decades would learn from, as well as new couples. and. And you'll probably talk more about that. So I'm going to quit talking <laughs> and turn this to you, Tammy. Okay, well, I'll tell you a little bit about the book. Maybe I'll look at it while I tell you a little bit about it so I don't forget all the things I want to say. But it is called Replenish, Creating Sexual Fulfillment in Marriage. And it is a guide for LDS couples. I know that in my work as a therapist and also in teaching, um, courses and things about sexuality, that sex is an experiential activity, meaning that you you have to do it to kind of figure it out. And so this book is unique in that each chapter has a section that I call Think, Pair, Share, 
where couples come together. First, I like them to think independent of one another about different um, principles that were taught in the chapter and then come together and, and connect some way physically or emotionally and then to talk or share with each other the things that they both were thinking about as they read that particular chapter. And then from this think, pair, share, they get to start creating together their own sexual playbook. And I don't like to call it a rule book because rules sound not so fun, (laughs) but a playbook Playbook is fun. (laughs) And I think that making love should be a way that we play together in marriage. And so I like couples to start creating their own unique sexual playbook where they get to decide together what it's going to look like in the bedroom. And then each chapter also has several experiential um, activities that they can do together um, that emphasize what that particular chapter's principle was about. So you're, you're learning about a principle and then you're talking about it. You're deciding together what, what that looks like for you right now. And then you're going to do some exercises to kind of try it out. And so the first part of the book, I have four sections of the book. And the first is all about understanding more about your sexual, uh, our sexual theology and your particular sexual uh, uh, background and the, the belief system that you have around sex and what you're believe, or bringing into marriage that way. The second section is more about accepting and understanding the body uh, parts and sexuality. The third part goes more into expanding of sharing your bodies together in uh, a wonderful sexual way. And then finally, the last section is more discussing uh, sexuality throughout the lifespan uh, from newlyweds to nearly deads (laughs) and everything in between, including a chapter that I um, felt very strongly to include on infertility. My, our story, Jeff and I, um, maybe we'll tell a little bit about that quickly, but my husband, Mark Mulford passed away 21 years ago. And um, Jeff and I, Jeff lost his wife. Uh, in 2005. Into how many years ago was that, sweetheart? That would be 17. 17 years ago. And so Jeff and I have been married for 16 years now. He married about a year after his wife passed away, and I married about five years after my husband passed away. And as Richard mentioned, we are blending a family with 12 children. And we, um, my husband, Mark, and I went through 13 years of infertility work. And wow. it, was, it made sex very different. Wow. And part of our responsibility with our bodies sexually is to create life and to reproduce. And, and when you can't do that and it's a righteous desire and you're not able to do it, um, it does change things in the bedroom some. So I included a, a special chapter there for the number of people who are experiencing situations where they're not able to conceive when they want to. Well, I want to talk about infertility, but because that's, I love the way that's part of your book. Tell us, kind of introduce your life story to us. And just, I think that would lead into the book. Is this something that came in the last five years? Or were you interested in this topic way from <laughs> the beginning of time? The beginning of time. I'm an old woman. And I think I was born um, 
interested and curious about where babies came from. And uh, my, my parents were our wonderful parents and they sat down with us individually before we turned eight years old and read a little book called a doctor talks to five to eight year olds. And (laughs) they explained the basics of reproduction. And at that time, you know, 55 years ago, that wasn't necessarily what most families were doing, especially within the church. And so I'm really grateful for what my parents did. And so I understood reproduction. I also understood that having children was one of the most wonderful gifts of mortality. And I can remember so clearly asking my mother, so this having a baby is like one of the coolest things you can do here on earth. It's such a gift that's been given to us. And we get to have babies because you get to do this thing together, you and dad. So how long does that take? Good question. And (laughs) I remember my mother saying, oh, five to 10 minutes. And I remember being like, that was so absolutely incomprehensible that this most significant thing we could do in mortality took five to 10 minutes. It's interesting. And so I thought that doesn't fit. That just doesn't fit. And so I have been curious. My dad is a medical doctor and I would look through all of his medical books trying to find any information I could about sexuality. Um, I can remember one time in Sunday school, I was probably around 10 or 11, and uh, they had talked about David and Bathsheba. And I was, all I thought of was, I can't wait to get home because I'm going fe- to read from the scriptures how this happens and what it's all about. <laughs> and I remember going home and reading, and it's like, he lay with her. And that was not helpful <laughs> at all. And so I was disappointed. Um, and then as I got a little older, um, I happened, my oldest sister had a very romantic book in her bedroom that I found and read. And oh my, it was exciting. <laughs> and I was so from that moment on, I knew it could be a lot more than five to 10 minutes. And I wanted to learn as much as I could um, going into college, studying Uh, My bachelor's degree is in family and consumer science education, and I had the opportunity to take a human sexuality class. Um, This is at Utah State University, and my mind was absolutely blown in that class, and I learned so much and have been fascinated about it um, forever. So it's, it's not something that happened five years ago. This is something that's happened forever for me. How did you navigate any shameful comments you received during these years were, you know, sort of muted your curiosity or creative feeling your curiosity wasn't appropriate. And I think my feeling is, and I think that's part of your mission is that this is normal and it's a good thing, but sometimes parents like me or culture create shame and you're embarrassed about being wanting to understand. Mm-hmm. I, for some reason, I never felt shame about it. <laughs> I just never did. I thought this is just the, this is such a wonderful gift. I want to understand it. And so shame wasn't part of it. I have felt when I explained to when people have through the years asked me about my career and I tell them I'm a, a sex therapist, they kind of look at me like I must be a little perverted or something, but I don't really worry about what other people think. I, I truly believe um, 
that, and I mentioned this in the book that, well, let me back up a second, um, Richard, that for most of my adult life, I've served in the primary for probably 32 years running. I served in the primary and I love the children and children understand if you ask them, what is one of the reasons you're here? Why are you here on earth? They will answer to get a body and they get that and they're not ashamed of that. And, and yet I think as we get into society and we grow up and we start having body image challenges or we have questions about sexuality that we wonder if this is good or bad or we're scared about it. And I think that often um, when we return back to heaven again, I believe our heavenly parents, one of the first questions they'll ask us is how, how much did you enjoy your body? And if that's one of the main reasons we're here on earth is to get one, then I think we're going to have to report back. How did we utilize it? How did we enjoy it? And I want people to enjoy the capacity they have to receive and give pleasure. I love that. Thank you. Where would you like to go next on the podcast? Sometimes <laughs> I just kind of let my guests drive. Well, I guess maybe backing up. Um, so I graduated in family and consumer science education. What, actually, it was home economics education back in the day when I graduated from that. And so I was able to teach in high schools. And I recognized very quickly in high schools that so many students had no idea about their bodies and about um, reproduction or even menstrual care. It was just alarming to me. And um, so I would, I wrote often to the, the specialist over home economics at the Utah State Office of Education saying, we need to develop a curriculum to help these students understand their bodies. And so I was invited then to help develop the curriculum called Adult Roles and Responsibilities. And from that opportunity, um, Governor Mike Levitt, this is really dating me, um, invited me to be part of a task force committee. And my job in that was we would go through different counties um, throughout the state on the weekends and different specialists would come and we would have workshops where we would teach parents how to parent responsibly. And my job was to teach parents how to teach about sexuality. And um, so I did that for a few years and just really loved it. My dream was to go back and become a marriage and family therapist. I felt like I wanted to help families. I believe families are fundamental to strong societies and that if we can really invest in a marriage relationship, that there's true, truly love and happiness and passion that's shared within that relationship, we're going to have strong homes and children are going to come from these homes wanting to be married. And, and um, so I've, I've just always been really passionate about that. And so uh, my late husband and I, um, of course, I told you we couldn't have children for so long. And I went back to school to start my MFT program. And two weeks into my program, we had a child that was born that we ended up adopting. 
And so I, I dropped out of school then. And then we miraculously conceived seven years later and had two little babies that we still don't know how they got here. And then when our baby girl was four months old, my husband unexpectedly died. And, mm. and so at that point, it was like, okay, my, I'm not going back to school anytime soon, right? And so um, did, did the work of uh, being a single mom and took several years until I felt like I was thriving again. But I got to a place where I was thriving and I met this amazing widower and um, we married. And the first several years of our marriage were so involved with all of these children and the care for all of these children. And um, the work of the home was excessive for me. And Jeff knew that I would be happier if I wasn't home all the time. And I got to have some breaks. And so he fully supported me. And um, I'll get emotional because honestly, the second year of my program, you're in school full time, but you're also that entire year, you're doing at least 10 to 20 hours of therapy every week on top of that. And then we have all these children at home. And this man, I think I grocery shopped two times in one whole year. Oh. He just picked up all the pieces so that so that my dreams could be fulfilled and I'm so grateful for you. We didn't eat as well. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a joy to see Tammy so happy and and she learned a lot that helped me a lot. She would share what she learned and uh, really helped me understand a lot of things better. So I'm just really blessed to be married to her. Thank you. So I did go back to school. That was 12 years ago and um, loved, I love learning, just loved it. And then continued when I was done with MFT to become a certified sex educator. And then um, the, miraculously, I told Jeff one day, you know, it'd be really fun to to teach like marriage prep or something for the school of family life over there. And do you want to tell this story? Cause it's amazing. Oh, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, there are really a lot of miracles, miracles that happened that, but I, I still remember we were making the bed and she said, you know, someday in a couple of years, I'd like to teach marriage prep. You know, I've got my master's degree and I, and I knew she was a good teacher. And so I went to, I went to my BYU job and I was with the director of the School of Family Life on another matter. I was walking out the door and I just had a thought, maybe I'll mention that to him. And so uh, I went back in and mentioned, you know, Tammy uh, has her master's now and someday she'd like to teach marriage prep. And then another colleague was there and he said, oh, this is uh, an answer to my prayer. We'll just have her start teaching right away. <laughs> and so, so just a couple of months later, while she was in the classroom teaching marriage prep, and uh, she's actually a legendary teacher in marriage prep. She started with 40 students one semester, the next semester 90, the next 250. And now she teaches about five to 600 students a semester in marriage prep. And that's super fun. And from that, I got to know the director of the School of Family Life, and he's the one that invited me to help co-create the curriculum for the, the Healthy Sexuality in Marriage class. 
And um, since then, Jeff and I also get to teach a marriage enhancement class together. So that is kind of my journey. Um, that little question as in less than eight-year-old of how can these two things come together when this is when creating life is so important and such a blessing. And yet my mother's telling me this is five to 10 minutes in length. And that was just something that wasn't congruent and it doesn't need to be congruent. And I don't believe it should be congruent. And that is exactly why I've worked so hard in over seven years. <laughs> it's taken me a long time because of family responsibilities mostly. Um, and a lot of apprehension because I'm talking about something so vulnerable here. It's like I'm burying my soul um, in this book. And now that I have it here, I have to tell you, I've had lots of little anxious moments like, who's going to read this book? And I hope my parents won't read this book. And, <laughs> and it, it's exposing. And so it's created a little bit of anxiety for me. Tell our listeners how to get the book. So this book right now, um, what we picked it up uh, like five days ago and our distributor is getting it to Amazon. And so within the next I don't know, two weeks, within two weeks, we should have the link for the Amazon um, and hopefully other bookstores will pick it up, but they can also uh, purchase it through my website, TammyHill.com and, uh, and get it from me directly. So we'll add those links to the show notes listeners. And if this podcast is released before the Amazon link is up, we'll go ahead once the Amazon link is up and go stick it back in the show notes. So you may see it. You may not see it, but eventually it'll be there. Thank you. Because we want people to connect with this book. Um, yeah, I'd love to tell one of the stories within this story that is interesting to me is this goes back to your eight-year-old self. Mm -hmm. And you had, a, you had a supportive network in there to let this bloom and grow versus potentially parents. And I might have done this, would have said, Tammy, we don't really talk about this kind of stuff maybe you should kind of move on or it's making me uncomfortable as a parent. And I think there's a, a story in here where you were confident enough and had a feeling of what you wanted to do. And you had people around you that didn't end that, end that within you or put that seed, drown that seed. I'm struggling for language. And I think there's other listeners are out there, parents, and they're seeing, this is a great story for younger people. Mm -hmm. younger women, younger men that are kind of on a unique journey with unique interests and wondering, where is this They're all going to go? And what's my contribution with the world going to be? Because I'm kind of drawn to different areas or different ways or different topics. And you're a little bit of an outlier. <laughs> if you're okay. Just slightly. <laughs> but now, you know, where you are and the work you're doing, you're not an outlier. Mm-hmm. Your outlierness, that's not a word, has enabled you to be able to do unique things in our community. And I think that's a story within our story that's helpful for other people finding their way. I don't know if you want to comment any more on that or, or just the other question I have in my mind is, after doing so much work in this space, you recognize there was a need for a book. You mm -hmm, recognize mm -hmm. there's missing content. Mm -hmm. And there's other books out there. And so you could also just talk about I'm a marketing guy, so I use marketing language, the niche or the target audience or the missing messages. And you could talk about that also. So it's back to you. Okay. Um, 
So as far as as a child growing up, when my mother got done reading this little book that a doctor talks to five to eight year olds, she put it in um, a drawer by her bed and said, this book is here. Anytime you want to look at it, come and look at it. Anytime you have questions, you certainly can ask any questions. And she says of all eight of the children, she found me in there looking through this little book by far the most. (laughs) And I had so many questions. I, uh, I can't, I, there were so many things. I remember our neighbor had a adopted or had a baby and then very quickly thereafter had the set of twins. And I remember thinking, oh, I, you must just have to do that one time. And then babies <laughs> just come whenever. Oh, well, that's an interesting yeah. conclusion. And so, and I've I never rem- thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what my little brain thought. And I remember talking to my parents about that's, that. And because this little book that my mom showed me, it had the, a picture of David, the statue, right? Michelangelo's statue of David. And that's what you saw. And um, I was really just interested. And they never, I don't believe they ever made me feel embarrassed or ashamed um, at all. I never remember feeling any shame for having this natural interest and curiosity. I remember feeling different because I did. I remember asking all kinds of questions about menstruation, wanted to understand about that. Um, I wanted to understand about lactation. How does that work? And kissing, I was fascinated with kissing. And there was just, I think I just had this little part of me that was actually not so little (laughs) and was more of a big part of me, but I don't remember ever being ashamed of it. And that's a beautiful thing. I hope that those of your listeners who feel like they may, they may be outliers that they will um, recognize that there are all kinds of ways that you can learn and, and go after the thing that you're passionate about and, be a resource for people around you um, as you grow and develop and study. For me, as I, as far as why did I feel this book was necessary, one reason is that um, therapy is expensive. <laughs> and I realized in my practice that um, there are a lot of couples who can't afford to get help. from me directly. And so a book would be something that would be so much more economical. And this book really does take a lot of the interventions that I utilize with couples in therapy um, and have them process together and then practice together, talk about it, come practice, come back and talk about it. And so much, if you follow this book along, if you read this together and do everything that I've outlined, I don't think you'll never, ever need therapy because you really will become one another's dearest friends, most passionate lovers. And there will be such joy within your relationship and satisfaction. And so hopefully this will put me right out of business. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so I think part of it was that there was a, I felt there was an economic need. Um, I also felt about maybe 10 years ago, 
uh, an experience that I had within the temple um, and studying the gospel. Oh, it brings me so much joy. I love studying the gospel. And I was studying through the creation at that time. And um, I remember being in the temple and light bulbs going off in my brain as I listened to the creation and realized that the the animal kingdom and the the vegetation as the world was created, they were commanded to multiply. And then it comes to Adam and Eve, man and woman, and God commanded them to multiply and replenish. And I clearly understood that this replenishment piece is a commandment. We are appointed. If you look at the proclamation of the family, there's that line that says, the means by where it, wherein life is created is divinely appointed. And appointed, researching and studying about appointed, that's, that's a, a responsibility. It's a stewardship. It's a calling, maybe even, that we are appointed to replenish in marriage. And how do we do that best? The research shows, the social science research shows that couples who are having the most satisfying sex are the happiest couples in marriage. And I think that if we can really help couples accept the fact that they're embodied spirits, these bodies are ours right now. We waited a really long time to get these bodies. Who knows how long? And we have them right now. And are we learning about them? Are we utilizing them? Are we appreciating them? Um, and that as we understand how bodies work, which is a big deal, especially for women within the church um, in, or in highly conservative and Christian communities, a lot of women don't feel comfortable understanding how their bodies function sexually and learning how to, if they're not naturally having orgasmic experiences with their spouse, that the idea of learning for yourself feels sinful. And yet that is absolutely what they need to feel comfortable doing so that they can then help their husband, help them receive this wonderful pleasure that they're intended to experience. And, oh, don't even get me started. I could just go on forever and forever. <laughs> It's a good format for that. <laughs> we don't have a light on the podium when your time's up. Um, I'm realizing I'm picking up vocabulary here that's new to me and just principles that are new to me. So this is good. Mm -hmm. um, like what? Well, I th I'm going to go way back to the infertility that mm -hmm. the potential trauma of being intimate with your spouse when you when you're infertile and that's reminding you that this beautiful time together could be the trauma of not being able to conceive and just the complexity of that that my wife and I have never experienced that mm -hmm. we never had any challenges fertility so I thought of that I also thought while you're talking and I'm not directly answering your question is I've thought about that led me in my mind as you were thinking to talk about couples or a usually a woman that's a survivor of a sexual assault mm -hmm. and or has been raped, mm -hmm. as, you know, and how she then navigates the trauma of that experience right. to then and what her partner can and can't do to help that. Right. So those are kind of two things that came to my mind. Okay. 
And I don't know if you want to, because I know you've probably talked about those with couples and how to get through that. So I don't know if you want to give any principles to listeners on those two. Um, For sexual trauma, it's absolutely essential that people who've experienced sexual, sexual trauma to get some very good trauma therapy, EMDR, is the modality of therapy that has the most empirical evidence that it helps with the resonation or resolution or healing um, surrounding any type of trauma, including sexual trauma. What a spouse can do is encourage that therapy, um, encourage and be patient, um, encourage that therapy to uh, for this her, that spouse to go and get the help they need to be able to heal. What happens when we have um, traumatic experiences, I'll say this as simply as I can, is that the trauma lodges within the brain. And so as we move forward in life and there are things that happen externally that, that remind us of that trauma, we go right back to that lodged spot in our brains. And so we start responding with that fear, that anxiety, the all of that trigger, come, we come right back to that place in the brain. And EMDR, EMDR therapy is rapid eye movement. And what they've learned is that as you go back and forth um, with your eye movement this way, there's also tapping that takes place. There's some bilateral stimulation with brain and music. But as, as things go back and forth in the right and left hemispheres of the brain, it will... Um, dislodge this trauma over time and so that the brain actually does heal and as this person moves forward in life after trauma they don't get they don't go back to that little spot they don't stay stuck if you don't get the help you'll stay stuck there forever because your your body's your brain is protecting you um, against the trauma traumatic experiences that you had and so when we experience it, we go right back there. And in a way, uh, it's a way that we, um, I guess when I say the brain's protecting us, is that when a person has extensive sexual trauma, the core person isn't really showing up for the experience. And that's where we start getting multiple different personalities coming in and interplaying with it. And I don't necessarily need to go in all of that, but the brain we are protected often. Our brains protect us from trauma. And when we experience trauma, it, is, it stays within the brain. And when other things happen that remind us of that, we're alerted, high alert, high alert, that remember this happened before. And in that way of uh, wanting to protect us again, we go back to that place where we received that abuse. And if we do not heal, we will continue to go back to that space, um, I think, until we're made whole through the resurrection. That's a beautiful segment. Um, and the principles apply broader than just sexual trauma. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm thinking just about other guests in my own lived experience where I, where I, yeah, we've, I've learned we all have trauma. <laughs> we do. And I sort of feel like that's part of mortality and getting through that, through therapy and through the atonement. I certainly love therapy and the principles that you understand and can bring to others that are a similar part of this book to be able to get through difficult things. Mm -hmm. One guest who's, I think, a 
marriage and family therapist, and I don't know if you like this analogy, but she talked about it's like playing those old records and you get to a scratch on the record and it just, you can't get past the scratch mm-hmm. on the record and it sort of just stops Repeats you right itself. there. And that was helpful for me. And so I was, you know, just as you talk. Um, as far as infertility. Um, yeah, we didn't get to that one. Yeah, I, there, there can be some traumatic type of experiences of deep sadness and confusion, feelings of a being abandoned. Um, then when you are trying to conceive and not able to, what happens more often than not, not so much with trauma, but what happens more often than not is that sex becomes a, a job rather than something that's enjoyable. Um, you have a certain, you know, with different infertility treatments, you have so many days that you can conceive and this is when we've got to do it. And this is the time. And um, there can be a lot of stress that enters into the bedroom and it, it becomes um, a job. It becomes just a job. And and who wants to go to bed and do more work, right? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> and so, How do you get through that then? Or, I mean, that you've described that in a way that I've never thought about before. And so that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lived experience in that place. But then how... If there's couples saying, "Yeah, we're working on infertility and it does feel like a job," how do they, how do they get beyond that? Yeah, well, I have several um, activities in the book that Good. they can do. Um, I believe in practical. I believe that if I pick something up, I want to learn and I want to know how I can apply it, and that's what the book does. You learn something and then you learn how to apply it. And so, in the infertility chapter, I have several exercises that couples can do to um, externalize the infertility, to set boundaries around communication um, with the infertility. We don't talk about infertility in the bedroom. Um, There's a lot of different, really simple, fairly simple ways that you can put boundaries around um, your space that you're sharing together sexually, even if you're needing to do it in a time crunch. How I got through it through time, I, I just think, I accepted the fact that it was going to be okay if I didn't have more children. I was very surprised when we were pregnant again, totally surprised. And then to have another baby just right after that was shocking. And so I had come to the place where, you know, two is great. We've got two boys. I love them. One came to us biologically, one came through adoption and we're, we're perfect. And um, when you don't have any children, that's different. Um, I'm sure that's different for me personally. Uh, I think that infertility in the bedroom was less of a problem after I just accepted that it's okay. This is the plan and it's okay. Keep sharing. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to say, Jeff? I would. I would. Um, of course, I have read this book several times. I did not have the same experience that Tammy had about sex as I was growing up. I never even heard about it, really. I mean, it was not, not a, and then I married Tammy and she's very interested in it. And it's, it was quite, quite wonderful, actually. But um, I would just say because of Tammy's interest in sex and her writing this book for seven years and me wanting to be a supportive husband, I've read several other books to just see what are the other books that are out there. 
And I would say what Tammy's book contributes is the perspective of replenishment. And most books are focused on how do you get to orgasm? Interesting. You know, how, and, and the view of sex is that good sex is when you have an orgasm and great sex is when both of you have an orgasm. True. And well, and can I interject sure. here? And that sex is defined as penetrative sex. Right. That's the only type of sex that we think of. Right? So it's penetrative sex getting to an orgasm. Mm-hmm. And Tammy's view is we have a sexual stewardship that's actually divine. And the purpose of our central sexual interactions are to replenish our relationship. And sometimes that includes an orgasm. And sometimes it includes a sexual experience that doesn't, or it's cuddling or kissing or emotional fulfillment. And having the perspective that it's not goal-oriented to do this one thing, but it's multitudinous. You can do so many different things. There's so many ways to make love. I think that perspective is what I would say sets her her perspective of sexuality apart from a lot of the other books that I've read. That perspective is very helpful. You should keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to say anything else? (laughs) I would just say that um, as I grew up, sex was something you didn't talk about and was shameful. I grew up in the same neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) And and actually being around someone who doesn't hold that perspective is contagious. I think that people maybe who have, uh, this is how people feel that take her classes, is that they, they come out of her classes, and I've read comments over and over again from her students uh, that say they, they never had this vision. You know, they hadn't even thought that they wanted to get married. And now after this class, they're really excited to get married and excited about future sexual activity and all of those things. And so I really believe that people reading this book can be an antidote to the way that you and I grew up, mm-hmm. you know, because it certainly has been for me. I mean, I'm a totally different person than I was uh, 16 years ago when I met uh, Tammy as it relates to the sex. and. Uh, you know, in, in uh, my family with my kids, the day before they get married, I talked to them a little bit about that. And they'd come home from their honeymoon and you could tell they just didn't really have that great of a time. And then after, I'm probably saying too much, but after I married Tammy, why she was really good at educating both uh, my children and her children about sex. And, and they seemed to be a lot happier when they came home <laughs> from their honeymoon because they had had some good perspective, good instruction. And I think that, um, you know, in the in the book of Moses, it says that Adam and Eve instructed their children in all things. And I like that all word. And I think the sexuality is part of that, that we have a responsibility and to uh, not just like it's work, we also get the opportunity to help create for our children an understanding of this beautiful part of being human, this wonderful experience of being mortal, where this is the first time we get our bodies. And how are you enjoying it? You know, what are you learning to do 
with this? How are you sharing this in ways in your marriage? And um, I, I just believe we need to approach it instead of something fearful or something shameful or sinful to look at it as a gift that we've been given and an opportunity for us to grow and become more like our heavenly parents in the process. There's a devotional that uh, Elder Holland gave back, I think, in 1986 called Soul Symbols and Sacraments. I remember that one. And it, it, in that one line, I if you ever find me daydreaming, I can probably tell you most likely this is the line I'm daydreaming about. I daydream about sex. <laughs> um, and it is that we are never more like our heavenly parents than when we are expressing this certain creative power. I love that. That gives us so much freedom to, to exercise this divine creative power. Well, the kind of little light bulbs are going off for me, listeners, and some paradigm shifts are going, paradigm shifts are going off for me. You know, particularly the goal of sex being, you know, simultaneous orgasm, mm-hmm. which was what I grew up with and some of the literature that my wife and I read before we were married. But then you've sort of opened the door to replenish. And then I think one of the things that's so important is what your is in your book and your message is communication. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I'm I'm guessing men aren't as good as communicators <laughs> as women in this space. And Man, it may just be what we've talked about. I'm still not u- used to using all this language that you're comfortable <laughs> with. And it needs to be normalized because it's just factual language you're using. It's not sinful to be talking this way. It's right. not inappropriate. Right. Um, but that's really, that's a bit of a paradigm shift for me and sort of opens empower. I'm feeling empowerment when you talk like that to really own this in our relationship and in a way that works for us versus, and it's a good thing. I've always been taught it's a good thing, but you said something early on, Tammy. You said, you know, we were given this earth life and this body, and we're going to be asked to report on the way we enjoyed our body because mm-hmm. it's a gift to us. And I've never thought about reporting in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to report that I kept the law of chastity, and, but I, I think that, Part of keeping, yeah, you haven't said this, but I'm thinking part of keeping the law of chastity is replenish mm-hmm. and doing all we can for married couples to grow in this space. It's a good thing. It's such a good but thing. People like me don't have many tools. My wife and I read one book mm-hmm. um, before we were married. I still remember driving to California reading this book. <laughs> and I learned a lot. It was helpful and it opened the ability for us to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think we've ever read anything since then. Yeah. Maybe that's true of a lot I think of couples who are have some parents <laughs> or parents have an initial conversation and, you know, that box kind of checks and you get on your way. So, yeah, so this is helpful. I also love the principle, your mother, I love what your mother did with that book. Mm-hmm. I'm just so touched by that. that she said, here's the book. And if you'd like to look at it and read, it's just here. And what a thoughtful thing to do instead of hiding it away or putting it in the bathroom behind three things so that it's kind of the shameful thing Mm -hmm. that's out of the way. And it's kind of in an uncomfortable place in the house that's sort of like, this is dirty somehow. Mm -hmm. But just where she put it and what she told you about it, and then 
was not worried that you were like overly processing this and created shame. Well, Tammy, you're thinking about this too much or, you know, you're obsessed with this in an inappropriate way because she just trusted you. Yeah. I, I've been so blessed with my parents, Richard. I, they're great people and I don't know why I got so lucky, but I, um, they definitely did not squelch my curiosity one way or the other. Um, tell us, should, should an unmarried couple that's engaged read this book? Should, mm-hmm. Talk about... There's, there certainly are, I would say for sure, the first section would of the book. single people that aren't even engaged read the book? Mm-hmm. I, it's because even though you're single, you're still sexual. True. You, you're not. It's been you, a long time. True. <laughs> it's true. And that we have a more than half of the population of the adult membership of the church who are single. And a lot of times uh, I was single for five years. I can remember still having a lot of sexual feelings and not knowing what do I do with all of these now. For me, having compassion for the single members of the church who are not only a lot of them doing single parenting alone, but they also are really navigating being alone and sexual simultaneously. And I think there are a lot of principles on how to manage that. But uh, I, uh, I Well, I like where you're going. Just <laughs> for single, I sort of asked a question yeah. and you broadened it. Who's it appropriate for? Oh, yeah, yes. But- but I love, I love you talking about single people are sexual mm-hmm. and that half, more than half the church is single and some may never be married. And so is the goal then just to shut all that down? I don't think you're saying that. The goal is to sort of talk about, mm-hmm. you know, to those that are single. Yes. And this book, um, there, are, there is a lot in there about understanding our sexual theology and embracing that as a good part of mortality. There's a part in there about understanding your sexual roots. How, how did you learn about sex and what are you doing with that knowledge? Is it helping you or is it hindering you? Um, so there's a lot of things there that would be great for people who are not married or are not married yet to, to read and study. study. Um, as far as the single population in the church, I have such compassion um, I think that was one of the most difficult seasons in my life uh, as a 37-year-old woman, widow, um, and having had a full, wonderful sexual experience with my late husband. And now all of a sudden that that's not there anymore and learning how to manage that part of myself. Um, first of all, not feeling ashamed for having arousal or desire, but recognize, wow, this is part of a good part of who I am. And this part of who I am is exactly like my heavenly mother, or this is exactly like my heavenly father. And this is a gift and to not be ashamed of it, but to recognize it and to learn how to uh, sublimate. That's a term actually from Freud. And sublimation is the idea of, because sexuality has an energy with it. Erotic energy is real. There's this energy that comes with this passion. And if you can have that erotic energy and utilize it in ways that are creative and um, expansive for you, that are also aligned with the person you want to be, 
you are going to develop and stretch yourself in new, exciting ways. And so sublimation for me, I learned how to quilt. I learned about stained glass windows. I I did a lot of things with my hands. Um, Creating things with your hands helps utilize that energy in a productive way. So sublimation is part of this. Um, I also really believe that uh, coming to a place where you know that you're good and that if there are times when you choose to touch yourself, I believe if you keep in your mind the relational aspect of sexuality, that that's once in a while, not it's okay. Um, masturbation is isn't great, right? Masturbation is having sex alone. We are designed to have sex in a relationship. And so having sex alone isn't necessarily the divine design. But if you are choosing to touch yourself, I would always encourage, and I tell my children all the time, if this is how one way you need to get some energy off, and I'm not saying this is what you should do, and I know I get a lot of kickback on this one, but utilize it in a framework that you're thinking about being able to share this with your spouse down the road, that this is part of you you're going to be able to share sometime. And it's a beautiful, good part of you. Um, I, I think that reduces a lot of the shame that doesn't need to be there. Now, masturbation to pornography, I'm not saying masturbating to porn. That is one of the most detrimental things you can do. Uh, you are learning a template, sexual template, that then when you are in a relationship with someone, it is so skewed. So much of the work I'm doing as a therapist is helping couples where one partner or both have been habitually viewing porn and masturbating, and now they're together. And it doesn't, that all the timing, all of the things that they've learned about themselves now is in a relationship and it's it's very frustrating and it's hard for these couples to figure it out can they yes and they do but i think incorporating pornography into your masturbation is one of the most harmful things you can do for yourself i would absolutely um, encourage you never to choose to do that so anyway i have eight principles of being single and simult and uh, sexual simultaneously and how to manage that uh, I don't know if you want to keep that in the podcast. We do. Do you? Um, I, it's a sub, the masturbation subjects come up at times on the podcast. It was vexing for me as a YSA bishop just to know how to navigate mm-hmm. terrific people that are working through that right. and not add to their shame, recognize it was a sin, but try to put it in the context. I didn't have vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I didn't have many principles, but I felt the handbook told me it was not listed as a major sin. Yeah. So I told the YSAs it was a minor sin. I wasn't even completely sure if they need to confess it to me. It didn't require that in the handbook. Mm -hmm. So I kind of told the YSAs in a group setting, if you want to talk about this, I'll talk about it. But if it's better for you just to work with God on this and recognize it's a sin and you're doing your best to work through it, I, I wanted to put it in the context I felt it should be. And not and de shame all the the shame was w- more worrisome to me than the yes. sin because of the way it isolated them from God relationships and just heavenly parents. I'm just outside of their love because I've messed up, and so I've I didn't have any therapy tools. So that's kind of where I netted out after talking to so many people. But I 
That's why your work in that last segment is really helpful because you didn't sell it anything in our doctrine the way you taught that. Mm-hmm. But you taught it in a way that I think is helpful. And you also talked about pornography in the context of masturbation and how that's that's different than right so that was a very helpful segment you could keep going on that segment well i just wanted because i think our (laughs) listeners are looking for thoughtful content on this subject i really appreciate what you did as a young single adult bishop because the shame i think is by far more problematic than the actual masturbation um you we are accountable for our bodies we're accountable for what we do with our bodies um we but they are our bodies, right? Right. And so what might work for one person might not work for another. And it, it's okay. Each of us have the power and the uh, responsibility, I think, to receive divine revelation for our own lives on how to, to manage this part of ourselves. And I want you to know who are listening that I know God answers our prayers about sexuality. I've had too many prayers answered when I've come forward with questions and wanting to understand and teaching, um, teaching things in my graduate program. There's, there's just, he, they created this. And if you want to have more understanding and information that you're confused about or not sure about, They're the perfect source to go to. I believe that. I do with all my heart. You're you're great people. Those of you who are single and and navigating all that single within the church, I want you to know how much I love you. We probably have time for one more segment, but while either of you are thinking about what you'd like to share as kind of final thoughts, I just wanted to read the back cover of this book. It's a, it's a substantial book, listeners. It's beautiful artwork. We'll link to the artwork when I post on social media. Um, for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or anyone who believes that human sexuality is a sacred and divine gift, it can be difficult to find resources that are adequately inform- informative, yet treat the topic with reverence and respect it deserves. Um, replenish creating sexual fulfillment in marriage is the answer for anyone who's been frustrated by information that is either too vague, too academic, too spiritual, or too pornographic. That's a great line. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, providing accurate information and practical application, mm-hmm. all within a gospel framework, this book is the perfect gift for couples who desire fulfilling sexual relationship that replenishes them with joy, unity, and oneness that loving Heavenly Parents intended. So I love that. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm so excited it's finally here. I Like I mentioned earlier, it's been a journey. Um, I've kicked against the pricks of writing this book for a long time because it is, well, first of all, because I I have a, a large family and I have a garden and I have fruit trees and I have all this other stuff that kind of takes priority sometimes, but um, I also, it has been very vulnerable to be so open and talking about my life and all of the the research that I have and combining it together in this book. And um, so it's been a little bit of a 
as Jeff can attest, I've kicked against the pricks for a long time. <laughs> a couple of years ago, um, we were walking through the canyon and I don't spend much money. As a matter of fact, I hardly spend any money from my business. And I did not want to finish this book. And I, I remember just thinking we're walking through Provo Canyon. And I said to Jeff, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to write the check to the church for my whole balance in my account. <laughs> and then I'm not going to finish this book. I don't want to worry about it anymore. And, and he said, well, you need to do whatever you need to do. And, but it was honestly not within, within a minute. So clear in my head, these words, I do not need your money. I need your book. And I know that this has been a project that has been inspired by God. And I have felt so many times the influence of the spirit in my writing. I, I hope and pray that miraculous things will happen, that this book can find itself into hands of, of couples within the church and that they can claim the joy they were created to experience. Um, because that's why I wrote it. That's why God wanted you to have it. And I have to just add my personal observation of Tammy, of, of the way that the Spirit has worked with her. Um, as, as she mentioned, why uh, she'd been working on it for years and wasn't that far into it, maybe a third done with the book. And then uh, we decided to um, go to Hawaii so that she could finish the book. Because just, there's no fruit trees in Hawaii. <laughs> and there's no children. No children. And it, she could just focus on it. And I was kind of a little bit of a doubter that she could really, because how can you intently write so so much so fast? And um, and so we went there. And yes, we got up early in the morning and we'd walk on the beach. But then I'd I didn't actually lock her in the room. But uh, I would leave her and I'd go have fun in Hawaii. She literally could write for eight hours wow. straight every day. And I, I remember hearing about uh, James Talmadge writing Jesus the Christ yeah. going into the temple with 30 pencils and just writing all day, all day. That's kind of how I saw Tammy there. She would, every day, she'd write eight hours straight. And uh, in a matter of five weeks, uh, she wrote at least half of that, of, of that book. And it was actually just, I would consider it to be a miracle, an inspired miracle, because the only way she could do that, I think, is that somebody on the other side wanted this book out so it could be of help to God's children here. I don't like being compared to James Talmadge. <laughs> <laughs> You're a lot better looking than him. <laughs> But Jeff is um, in giving him credit where credit is due. He has been the facilitator of my dreams. And um, I love you so much. Love you too. Thank you both. Um, on behalf of our listeners, I wrote down the word vulnerability in big capital letters, Tammy. <laughs> Thank you for your courage to be vulnerable. This isn't just a theoretical academic book. I haven't read it. <laughs> but... Um, Jeff is nodding. You're both nodding. This is your own life story weaved in here. And I think your vulnerability is courageous. Thank you. And you've shared some of that on the podcast and you've learned how to do that. And vulnerability breeds vulnerability and helps heal us. And 
we need that in our faith community. And you role model that with your courage in this book and your work. I love the word replenish. I would think you've spent a lot of time, and I love where you've found that language in the Old Mm -hmm. Testament in the beginning of time and in a positive way. Mm-hmm. There's no shame around the word replenish. Mm-hmm. It's this positive, I've never thought about the word. Mm-hmm. It's this positive, forward looking, it's a good word for me. It's always been a good word for me, but I've never thought about it mm-hmm. in the way this book is going to talk about it. Um, thank you both for your work at BYU. Both of you have taught there for a long time. My wife is familiar with your work, Jeff. She's taken a course from a manual you've written and and I just know that both of you have blessed so many people Thank um, you. in your sort of formal ways you serve in our at BYU and your church assignments, but informally in the way you just bless people with your work. Mm-hmm. So listeners, um, Tammy Hill's website is not very complicated. It's Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y, Hill.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. And we'll add the Amazon link. And we'll also link to Tammy's Instagram page. You've got a terrific Instagram page. Thank you. And we'll link to that in the show notes also. So, Tammy Hill, Jeff Hill, thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.